Hey, what's up, guys? This is John Ryan Cantu, and this is Leading the Christian Leadership Podcast. What's up, guys? God bless you, and welcome to another episode of Leading the Christian Leadership Podcast. I am your host, John Ryan Cantu, in the studio today um, on a Monday morning. I never record podcasts on Mondays. Mondays are typically my day off um, after a long Sunday morning at church. I I like to just kind of relax on Mondays. And I, do I ever really relax? Probably not. But I like to have the option. Uh, but today I'm here because. I really wanted to have this conversation with this person who, if it wasn't today, it was going to have to be uh, several weeks from now. So uh, he, he's, a, he's a very busy person. He travels a lot. He, his name is Doug Stringer. He is the founder of Somebody Cares International. It's a disaster relief organization. Uh, I believe that he's been doing that for several deca- uh, decades now. We're going to be talking a little bit about his uh, journey through that. He's also an author. He's authored the book um, Leadership Awakening, which is a call to leaders and uh, an awakening, uh, awakening revival in in, the, in our nation. So you guys go check all that stuff out, and we're going to be talking to him today. But before we get there, I want to remind you of the importance of ratings and reviews. And if you are uh, a, a loyal fan to this podcast, chances are you've already probably rated or reviewed the podcast or both. Um, I want to say thank you. You're probably tired of hearing the same thing. You can fast forward if you need to. But if you haven't, I want to just encourage you to do so. It's really a blessing to this podcast and the ministry of this podcast. It helps us rank in iTunes. Uh, so go over and and do that. I want to read some, uh, some reviews that... Uh, uh, came in. Well, th- these are actually a little bit older than the ones that I read last time. Um, but this one is for, from K. Compian. She that's a she's a member of our church, and she says, "Love, love this podcast. I look forward to it Mondays just to get an insight from different people who have such a passion for leadership, the way God intended for His children." Number nine has been my favorite and highly recommended. If you're a visionary person. Keep up, keep up the amazing job. Can't wait to hear more. Thank you. Thank you, Kay Compian. And let me read another one from Houston Pastor. It says, I'm enjoying the content and loving the guests. Insightful. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Everyone who has rated or reviewed, I really appreciate that. Um, so if you haven't, I want to encourage you to go over to iTunes and do that for me. Thank you. I, I realize that uh, when I'm in the studio... I I'm, I'm I talk a lot louder. Uh, last week on the podcast, I was at home recording the uh, uh, the podcast. It was a solo episode um, on what it takes to be a leader. If you haven't listened to that one, I encourage you. I lay out kind of five different uh, elements that I believe are are very necessary uh, to be a leader. Um, check that out. But I, I I was realizing that I was very listening listening to that podcast. I wasn't very loud, and here in the studio, I, I feel like I'm screaming, and uh, the dynamics are just kind of through the roof. That's how I, I, I think, um, that's how I like to listen to my podcast. I like people to be you know, fired up and kind of uh, you know, inspiring me and motivating me just by their dynamics, so um, I, I try to kind of go into the podcast with that high-level energy. Okay, you're probably tired of hearing me talk already. I'm not talking about anything. So let's go ahead and bring on today's guest. All right, help me welcome today's guest, Doug Stringer. He is the founder of Somebody Cares International, and he is an, he's an incredible, inspiring guy. I was just talking to him uh, before we, we started um, doing the podcast, and I felt like we already got some great insight just by listening to you before. So um, thank you so much, Doug, for, for being with me today. Well, it's always great being with you, and just appreciate your testament in your life and leadership and and uh, of course i love your family and yeah. all that you guys do yeah thank you uh doug you every time i see you you're like jacked man you're like <laughs> <laughs> i know you hit the gym pretty often you you go to lifetime which is it's, it's my my gym I, i'd never go anywhere else uh but man i mean just look looking at you and you got some guns on you bro well <laughs> <laughs> I, I think yeah, i'll be 63 this year okay and uh, I guess that's pretty cool when I go to the gym and people look at me and go, how old are you, dude? 
I go, I'll be 63 this year. I go, come on, there's no way, you know? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I was really blown away. My wife decided she wanted to, um, to v- video me doing some chin-ups and pull-ups. And this is a couple of weeks ago. I thought, I think I'm going to do 12. So I, I ended up doing 12 um, pull-ups, but then I ended up doing uh, 21 chin-ups without stopping. And I thought, there's no way. So I had to do it again just to prove it. And sure enough, I thought, man, I guess I'm not that old after yeah, all. Yeah, you got it, man. You got. And you used to be in, in the fitness industry. Is that, is that yeah, right? Before, yeah. Well, I was an athlete. I was a wrestler in Japan, oh, okay. wrestled for the United States and Japan in high school, and then uh, did play baseball, did some football you know, in high school. But I ran a chain of fitness centers when I came to Houston. Wow, okay. And uh, so I, I transitioned from that into what I do now in the ministry. But I still love to work out. And even when I went through the stage four lymphoma cancer a few years ago, I was determined, even with the pick line in my arm, yeah. that I wasn't going to let the circumstance dictate to me who I was. Amen. In fact, my, I have a, a saying that I wrote in my book, Leadership Awakening, that, um, that my desire to win has got to be greater than my moments of challenge or pain. Yeah. And I learned that through my life lessons in life and I determined that even if I was going to go through chemo and everything else, I was going to the gym as much as I could. I wasn't pumping as much as I yeah. could. But I began to open up conversation with people because they'd walk up and say, dude, don't, is that a pick line? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you have cancer? Yeah. I go, and they said, what are you doing here? I go, look, I can't let the circumstance dictate to me who I am. Right. So I'm going to control the circumstance. Yeah. You know, with Christ and with God's faith and my life and His grace, I can, I can overcome these circumstances. Yeah. And, and that, I mean, that takes a lot of mental strength, right? Um, what, what, what could you, I guess, tell people who are going through seasons of, of adversity um, because it's it's easy to say, hey, you just just persevere, just keep going. Don't don't let your defeat really uh, determine uh, your future. Uh, what what can you say to to someone just going through that? Absolutely, you know, and you said it well. It is a mental discipline, mm-hmm. uh, but then again, we're reminded as a Christian. I'm reminded that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens right, me. Amen. So I have to go back to see. A lot of times, success is not based on on how everything is going well in our life. It's based on how to handle those circumstances in our life when, we're, when we come through adversity or difficulty. Uh, I have a, a spiritual son who was a former acting police com- uh, deputy police commissioner in a major city with a lot of crime, and uh, he went through a lot of challenges, and I called him and would say to him, I said, you know, I said, you will always outlast your adversaries and your adversities if you keep Christ in the focal point of your heart and you're in the focus of your mind. The Bible says to renew your mind because it's the washing of the Word. So if we pull down those vain imaginations because we have Christ's thoughts in our mind and we have our the Word of God working in us. So mm-hmm. I had to really focus. I'd come home, I was feeling depleted, I was feeling tired, I was feeling, you know, like, why don't I just quit? And uh, I realized, you know what, I'm not a quitter, so I have to fix my eyes beyond the circumstance. And I, In fact, I wrote about this one time. I was losing my hair when I was going through my chemo, and one night I woke up, my wife says, honey, honey, the eagle's balding. She goes, what, what? I said, I was losing all my hair. I go, the eagle's balding. And the reason I said that is because an eagle has two kinds of eyelids. Mm-hmm. One is they can go above the storm cloud, focusing on the brightness of the S-U-N, the sun, and get above the clouds and regain its strength. Secondly, you can see uh, its prey at two miles away. It's an eagle eye, as we call it, right? Mm-hmm. So I realized that I had to have, to mount up the wings like eagles, I had to get above the storm or the circumstance, fix my eyes on the brightness of the S-O-N. Wow. Wow. That's, that's so good. We can stop the podcast right here. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's incredible. That's incredible. Uh, yeah, and it, it reminds me of well, it reminds me of Peter stepping out of the a boat, and, and and he's he's fixing his eyes on Christ, and and he knows where he's going. Uh, but in the moment, he begins to look at what's around him and his situation, um, and the waves, um, and he loses focus on on what is supposed to keep us going. That's right. And so, I think that when that happens, it's very easy to uh, defeat ourselves because we've kind of lost our our focal point on on what what is supposed to be Christ. Absolutely. Uh, and so that's what it sounds like like you did and and you got through it and uh you are you are cancer free? Absolutely. Right? Yep. Can- well, I have to go back every few months, but mm-hmm. they're surprised. In fact, uh, I was in the middle of all my chemo and I was only halfway through and I was up in Philadelphia speaking at a conference for kings and priests, business leaders and pastors. And it was a Saturday night. We were finished, and we were flying back to Houston on Sunday afternoon to come back to MD Anderson for my next PET scan and, and chemo on that Monday and Tuesday. And uh, I told my wife, I said, honey, 
We're in Philadelphia. This is where uh, Sylvester Stallone, when he played Rocky, Rocky Balboa, mm-hmm. he ran the flags of the nations and up what he called the now they call the Rocky Steps, yeah. and he did his victory pose. I said, I want to run the flags of the nations, <laughs> and I want to run up those steps. And I hate to run. I mean, I like working out. Yeah, I do the yeah. gym stuff. Oh, the but forget the running, you know. That was my sports days. I don't yeah. want to beat up my knees anymore. <laughs> but I felt inspired to do that. So the next morning, I, didn't, I changed my mind. I said, oh, it was the pizza we didn't have last night. <laughs> and my wife says, well, Doug, you taught me you're committed to what you confess. Wow. I go, man, do you have to tell me my own sermons? <laughs> and so I put my do-rag on because I'd lost all my hair, and I put my workout clothes on. She dropped me off by the flags of the nations. I was going to run and just begin to pray for the nations and then get up to the rocky steps and run up and do the thing that mm-hmm. Rocky Balboa did. But I hate to run. I've got a pick line in my arm. I've lost my hair. I've been going through chemo. Yeah. And to my surprise, and now she was following me with her iPhone. As, as close, so she ended up putting on music that night to the Rocky song, right? Called Doug Runs the Rocky Steps. I'm running, and I thought, I've never felt so good. I hate to run, but it feels good. I get down to the steps. I ran up those steps, did my pose with my pick line in my arm the whole bit, and I felt so good I did it again. Yeah. Well, I get back to Houston on that Sunday afternoon, went back to MD Anderson Monday morning, did my midway PET scan. They called me up that afternoon and said, we really need you here on time on Tuesday before your chemo. I said, okay. And they'd never called me like that before. So I get there. All these extra medical professionals were there, and it was like, it's a teaching hospital, they put up my PET scan from my first one earlier in 2015, mm-hmm. and it showed my whole body was eaten up with stage four cancer. They showed this one only halfway through my treatments, and it, and this is a day after I remember I went to do the Rocky Steps, yeah. and they put the second PET scan up and said, we can't find any evidence of disease. Wow. I'm going, well, take this thing out of my arms. <laughs> no, no, you got to finish the protocol. But we're just telling you that something's happening here that from just a few months ago, you, could, you were lit up with cancer, and now we can't see that on yeah. the PET scan. I'm thinking, wow. So my act of faith, mm-hmm. my desire to win had become greater than my moment of challenge. Yes. Oh, that is so good. I mean, your, your, your spirit declared the victory before it was Absolutely. actually declared by, by the physicians. Absolutely. Is, oh, that is so good. That is, in, that is incredible. And, you know, I, I did want to speak a little bit, um, you know, to that to the to the cancer and kind of how uh, you know your, your mindset how how it affected you when you received uh, that news and and I was going to do it a little bit later but since we're here on it now um, talk talk a little bit about when you got that news I mean what 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 did it do it it seems like you know some sometimes I get troubling news and it, it sometimes it feels like the end of the world and and that's not that's still like I, I still have my health it's just sometimes when you when you receive something that is so that seems so unbearable, it feels like nothing else really matters. And I, I'm curious to know a guy like you with your positive mindset. Um, how did you react to that at first? Sure, you know, one of course when you have faith, and and we've lived a little bit of years. You know, when I was younger, I could conquer the world and nothing was going to stop me. But yeah. as you get older, you go through a few times where the wind gets knocked out of you, you get disappointed or distracted and discouraged in life. But we have to determine to fix your eyes on the author and finisher of our faith, fix your eyes on our destination, a desire to win. Mm-hmm. And I've always believed that we've got to keep our vision of hope and our vision of destination no matter what we go through. So I tried to apply that in my life. When I got the phone call, though, after the tests and the biopsies, my wife and I were in the car, pulled up to the house, and I said, honey, you need to go in the house and just sit down and be back. And she heard me talking to the doctor on the phone, and uh, so she knew something was up. And then when I said cancer... So she, she could tell she was wiping tears off her eyes. She went in the house, sat down with my mother-in-law who lives with us and our daughter and, and sat down and, and waited for me. Well, it took me over two hours. I went over to a, a grocery store parking lot and just sat down and I just processed, talked to God, why, all the questions. Yeah. I came home, sat down with my wife and daughter, my mother-in-law. We took communion together. And I said, first of all, I have to, you have to understand something. One, God did not do this to me. Mm-hmm. Secondly, if God did not do this to me, it cannot be about me. It doesn't belong to me. Well, actually, the second thing was it, that it, it doesn't, uh, if, if God did not do this to me, it doesn't belong to me. Third was that it cannot be about me. Yeah. It want, I wanted to become a message of a larger context so that no matter what I went through, by the grace of God, I was going to have a greater context of the message. Mm-hmm. And then fourthly, then, we would turn it into a ministry we did not ask for. 
mm-hmm. but became a ministry nonetheless. Yeah. So as I began to see about how I could reach out to others going through difficulties, it helped me in my process. So even at the hospital, we'd find people alone. I had family. I had friends coming to see me. But when I saw other people all alone, my heart went out to them. So we turned into a ministry of ministering to lonely people at the hospital mm-hmm. who had nobody. And yet I was thanking God that I had people with me. Yeah. And so it did become a message. So like at the gym, fire marshals, uh, young guys and athletes come up and look, dude, what's going on with you? It became a ministry yeah. of opportunity to share with them the faith that I had in Christ. And then also we had people from all over the world that I didn't even know began to hear about our story mm-hmm. or watching video clips of my, you yeah. know, the trailer to a documentary they wanted to do on, my, on the, the journey of cancer or uh, Doug Runs the Rocky Steps. Yeah. It began to become fodder and conversation to people I did not know all over the world. And so now even to this day, a few years later, I have people calling me who are going through cancer, going through difficulties, going through stress or trauma, uh, feeling like suicide, because they can relate that if this person can get through this, then maybe he could have an answer or direct me to some hope that I can get through this as well. So it's a a determination. You said earlier, a mental discipline. But Mm -hmm. to have mental discipline, we have to have, our mind has to be on something. That's right. So the Bible says, thou shalt keep him in perfect peace, Mm -hmm. whose mind is stayed on thee. So even when I began to get distracted, weak, come home and exhausted, and my wife could tell it was on me, that we take communion, I pray and say, Lord, if I quit now, what do I have to live for anyway? Mm-hmm. My purpose is to have a ministry that to minister hope to other people. Yeah, that's man, that's so good. And and, and if I could just um, you know just speak on your to, to your family, you have a you have an incredible support system, mm-hmm. and it, it's 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 really just. And I don't I don't know what else you have, uh, you know, friends and other family members, but just the two pillars that you have that are the women in your life, right. Lisa and Ashley. Um, they they are they are incredible. Uh, you know, to, to support you during your during your times. I, I, I was teaching Ashley guitar, um, and you know we were recording some of her, her songs during the time. You know, this kind of all happened, and and I remember just talking to them, and you know, you could see kind of the hurt that that was there, and and, and that's understandable. It's going to be there, but what I also saw was was hope and Absolutely. and faith and perseverance, and uh, so just an incredible family that that you have. And I love earlier that you said that Lisa kind of called you out and, yeah. and preached your own <laughs> sermon to you. That's that's so good. That's that's what we need. We need women like yeah. that in our lives uh, because we will sometimes drop the ball. We will kind mm-hmm. of get tired, um, and it's good to have that that support, support. system. In and Ryan, life. I have to say that to you. Brought up my daughter. You know, she started writing music when she was twelve. Mm-hmm. And you were instrumental in her life as far as helping her to, to you, because you would look at her and say, wait a minute, you wrote this when you were how old? Yeah. And helping yeah. her to really develop the guitar and then also have an expression. So when I went through the cancer, my, my daughter bottles a lot of things up. Mm-hmm. She can be a very demonstrative, but she bottles certain emotions sure. up. So her ability that you were giving her to play guitar and to sing became her outlet. Yeah. And so that became the very thing she used to deal with what she was feeling yes. about dad. Yeah. And then even at the hospital, she would take out her guitar, the, the couple of chords she was learning, and then the others you began to teach her. She began to play worship songs or sing over me at the hospital. Yeah. Doctors and medical professionals, technicians, even other patients would come, how old are you? Yeah. And it would just draw them in because that was her expression. Mm-hmm. So thank you for investing in her. Oh, it was, it was, I mean, it was my pleasure. Just, just I, I, I don't think she realizes how much she actually impacted my life. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, she's an incredible, incredible. I love looking at that right there. Uh, it's got her her picture, her album there. Oh yeah, um, right right here in the studio. So um, I, I look at that, and I'm, you know, it, it makes me feel, uh, it makes me feel like, you know, it, it went somewhere. You Absolutely. Know? Um, and so, I'm very very grateful for your family. But um, I kind of want to talk a little bit about your your organization. Um, mm-hmm. uh, somebody cares. It's it's disaster relief. Is that is that right? Is well, that that's one of the four okay. uh, components. But it started out really uh, when I was in the fitness business, mm-hmm. and um, I remember going through a, an encounter with the Lord. And so it was in 1981. I ended up leading the choreographer to a dance company, and all of his dancers to the Lord. They were using my exercise business at night when we closed as a place to rehearse. Well, he was he at that time was a choreographer for what was called Love Machine Dancers, and they were not Christian Love Machine. I trust me. <laughs> okay. But there's people in his dance company were at that time part of the Derek, I mean the uh, the uh, 
uh, yeah, the Derek Dolls, which are part of the Houston Oilers uh, cheerleaders, people from Urban Cowboy Movie and other things. And so uh, they were all part of his dance company. Well, I ended up leading him to the Lord, and one by one, every one of them came to Christ. Mm-hmm. And so in that transition, I woke up one day, and I had 17 uh, homeless people, at-risk youth, gang members that didn't have a place to go, so I put them in my apartment. Wow. And then I put 12 more in another house that was given to me near Bear Creek or Katy. And then I put six more in another apartment given to me over in Stafford when they were developing Stafford. And I realized, what am I doing? I'm supposed to be in business. Yeah. But as gradually, the business began to become more of a kind of an activity center. And uh, I was taking care of homeless people, drug addicts, at-risk youth, and realized my life was changing. Mm-hmm. So that's how we started. So from that came a coalition that we called the Somebody Cares uh, Compassion Coalition. So we have ministries all over greater Houston, around the country. Some call themselves Somebody Cares Baltimore or Tampa Bay or San Antonio. They all want to use the name. Others don't even use the name, but we have affiliates now all over the world that uh, poverty eradication, uh, orphan care, disaster relief. And so when disasters happen, because we already had relationships across the country and around the world, Rather than waiting for the, all the red tape and the, and the systems to get into place, we knew that you, the first phase of a disaster was critical. So we already had relationships there. So people who do championing compassion ministry every day, mm-hmm. 365 days a year, those are the ones you want to empower. So we believe we're working to and through local churches, ministries, and agencies who already know their community. So when the media leaves, the larger organizations leave, yeah. they're still there reaching out to their community long after the crisis. So that we became thrown into disaster relief, and we don't consider ourselves a disaster relief agency, but every major disaster from tsunamis to Indonesia to Japan to uh, Katrina, Rita, mm-hmm. Ike, and everything, Maria and Puerto Rico right now, right. we're still engaged in relationships in all those countries. So we're able to connect the dots to get the resources to meet up with the needs and empower the local agencies long past the crisis. Wow. And, and, and how, did you, how did you connect with all these different uh, you know, points of contact all, all around the world? Well, that's what we call relationship equity. Mm-hmm. Uh, we never, we didn't, you know, when you, for example, one, I have to give you this one story. In 1980, when KSBJ Radio in Houston first started, yeah. uh, I was helping with that when they first started and did fitness things for them as well and fun runs. And I picked up a hitchhiker who had lost his passport, his money, and his camera. He was traveling around the world. He was tra- from Australia. He was a triathlete and a coach from Australia, mm-hmm. was a party animal. But he ended up losing his passport or having it stolen and his money and everything else. So I took him in for six or seven weeks until he could get a new passport. In that process, his life was radically changed because mm-hmm. he saw these street kids I was taking in and, and, yeah. and homeless people in my home. And he's going, he goes, what, what's the deal with all this? So I started telling him. It so touched his heart. It changed his life. Mm-hmm. When he went back to Australia, people wanted to find out what happened to this guy. He used to be crazy. He was a party animal, a triathlete, but crazy and a party guy. So Youth for Christ and Uniting Churches and Church of Christ and Baptist Churches, Assemblies of God, they all wanted to know, who is this Japanese-American that picked you up and cha- helped change your life? So I started going to Australia, and that created a whole other avenue of yeah. relationships all these years later, all the way to fast forward, this kind of thing happened all over the world. So just by helping one person, it creates a chain reaction. Yes. And pretty soon, one relationship builds another relationship, builds another. So we have this, this relational equity around the world. And so even during the uh, Asian economic collapse in Indonesia in 1998, long before the tsunami, mm-hmm. um, there was people we were ministering to when they lost everything. 100 million people in that country lost everything. They went below the poverty line yeah. after the Asian economic collapse. Churches were being burned down. People were being uh, uh, abused because of they needed a scapegoat. And in that context, we ended up going there and helping the churches to reach out even to their enemies, mm-hmm. ended up changing the dynamic to where the president of that country invited 100 local pastors and myself, and on seven minutes of national television, uh, apologized for the sins of the nation. And then he said, it allowed us to pray for him. And so that fast forward to now I've met with numerous leaders of that country. Yeah and pastors, and connecting docs of relationships. So those were already in place before the tsunami that happened, Indonesian tsunami, so we were able to get people right away, yeah. even using their military airlifts to get volunteers into Banda Aceh, where the, the epicenter of the tsunami was. Wow. And, and so all of this, it kind of started with, you said, you said chain reaction. Um, 
and a lot of it kind of started with you taking a chance. You said you picked up a, a he was a hitchhiker. Yep. And uh, were, were you alone or was like, I was alone? I was yeah. <laughs> well, actually, I'd taken a, a kid who hadn't eaten for four days, uh-huh. a teenager. I took him to a teen challenge outside of town for an interview. And all the way back, we were coming back, and I saw a guy with the sign that says Australian, uh, and he was hitchhiking. So I pulled over and uh, was going to look for a place for him to stay. And that's when that street kid I had helped out stole his passport and, his, oh, wow. and took okay. off. And so he had to stay with me for six or seven weeks. Okay. But uh, it was that process. We became best of friends. We're, in fact, I've you know, um, been friends. He's, he's got great kids. We watched him get married. Kids that's, grow that's up incredible. and still go to Australia. His kids are all in missions now and yeah. doing stuff. And yeah. Yeah, so. I think people <laughs> underestimate the, the, the power of, of one one email sent, one phone call, one conversation. Absolutely, uh, because it, it can, like you said, it can create a chain reaction that is that is impactful. I've seen it. I've seen it in my life uh, personally. But I mean, I, I love that you told that story because um, that that seems like at least today it's kind of taboo. Like don't don't pit, don't kick, uh, pick up hitchhikers. That's <clears throat> that's dangerous. And and uh, what what would you say to people who? Uh, I mean, obviously, I, I don't know if you would tell everyone to pick up hitchhikers, sure. but. What would you say to people who are a little bit kind of they have they have fences sure. because they don't uh, maybe they're not comfortable yeah. doing something sure. that could potentially lead to something like like sure. like you had happen. Well, I think times have changed in a lot of ways, yeah. but at the same time we and we have to stay in our lane and know what your giftings are. So the Good Samaritan story is a great story. Mm-hmm. Here's a, a Good Samaritan who uh, couldn't take him in himself, but he did take care of his managing his wounds and put him into an inn. And took care of some of his needs. Right. So all of us have something we can do. We can pray, uh, maybe give a, a, in fact, somebody else called me and said uh, they had a person that really was addicted to drugs, dropped out of school, really needed help. I said, well, just give them my phone number or give them my card. My card used to say somebody cares 24 hours a day. And we had a pager number back then. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, and so you can give a card, you give a phone number. You may not know what to do. But you can direct them to an organization or a ministry or to someone who does. Mm-hmm. So we don't want – everybody doesn't have to do everything. We just have to do our piece. Yeah. There was a, a girl, a woman now, she's a grandmother, married, has kids. She works with AIDS babies in India. Well, one good thing about social media, she contacted me and says, you probably don't remember me. But when I was a teenager, I, you took me off the streets and put me into a home with other girls, uh, other women to kind of help take care of me. And uh, but and I left, and you probably thought, whatever happened to her? I want you to know that the seeds planted stayed, Gosh. and now I'm I'm have a ministry to AIDS babies and to at risk children in India. Wow. I'm thinking, oh my gosh! So it's just it's just a basic seed. Do what you can and watch the seed yes. progress. There was a guy named Hollywood. He was a kind of the, the leader of the pack of the street gangs in Lower West Timer in Houston, which at that time in the 80s was the highest crime rate in the, in the state of Texas. Okay. Well, he was, oh, he got all kinds of girls pregnant. He would do crazy things. He would, I mean, just do it. He, he was on uh, uh, what is called, um, uh, it was a TV show on Fox back then about, uh, you know, bad guy, bad guy, what you going to do or something like oh, okay. that. Okay. And uh, it, was yeah. a, it's, yeah, it was something, yeah, something like that. Something like that. So yeah. he was on that and, and uh, and so he ended up getting killed um, over a piece of pie at 4 o'clock in the morning. I got a phone call from a taxi cab driver and said Hollywood was killed. I said, oh, my gosh, because all those years I've been trying to reach out to him. He would even bring other street kids to my office, say, sit down, listen to what he has to say. But he wouldn't listen. Hmm. And we just kept on ministering to him, ministering. And at one point, he did give his life to the Lord, but he didn't really, it didn't really go anywhere. It was in his, yeah. in his, it was in his heart, but he didn't know how to, how to change. And so years later, my heart had always been broken. God, what, what, what happened? You know, why, why? I thought he was going to be like to me, like Nikki Cruz was to yeah, David Wilkerson. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, uh, another girl who had been a teenage prostitute, had been in and out of jail, came to my office and says, by the way, I'm a Christian now. And all those seeds you planted, all of us on the streets, I just want you to know it's stuck. But did you know that the night Hollywood was shot and killed, that he came up to us and says, I'm getting off these streets. I'm going back to Chicago. I'm giving my life to the Lord. That was the one thing years later, it had been bothering me for years. God, why would you let us invest in someone like that for him to lose his life? Mm -hmm. And the Lord reminded me the greatest, the greater tragedy would be that if I never planted the seed. Yeah. Because if we plant and water, 
God will always give an increase. We may not see the increase, that's, yes, that's but true. God will bring the increase. Yeah. That's very encouraging, especially to leaders, because the leaders, they, they give so much of themselves without uh, seeing the, the fruit that's often produced. Because, you know, I, I, I think a lot, I think a lot uh, about uh, this in regards to youth pastors, because a lot of youth pastors, um, you know, kids don't know how to say thank you. Kids don't know how to, you know, kind of express um, kind of growth in, in their lives. But uh, it, it happens, and, and a lot of times, you know, kids they'll leave, they'll they'll go to a different church, they'll go, they'll move away, and youth pastors are kind of left wondering whatever happened to that kid. Um, and, and I, I mean, that's not just youth pastors, obviously. I mean, it, it's it's leaders. Sometimes we don't see the fruit that we that we want to see. Um, but like you said, if there's a seed planted there, um, it's it's gonna it's gonna flourish. It's gonna go somewhere. And so that's that's very encouraging. And I think it it had to be such a incredible moment for you to finally hear that because um yeah i mean i i think of that to myself like whatever happened to this person did my investment in their life go anywhere maybe it didn't and we kind of get in our own minds and we, we start to think well this is maybe it's not worth it maybe i'm trying too hard maybe i should just kind of quit you know yeah. um and, and 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 so it's very encouraging to see that um things do happen even when you can't See Absolutely. Yeah. I've got uh, two stories, if I, I won't sure, tell you, ahead, I think it would be encouraging. Ahead. And I wrote about one of them in my book, Leadership Awakening, my sequel. I'll tell this other story. But I have a friend who is a pararescue guy, ended up becoming a pastor later. and uh, But he had done 10 Ironmen. Wow. Uh, and, I mean, and, and at age 66, he took a challenge. He's 67 now. I just had dinner with him not too long ago. Okay. And at 67, he's 67 now, but at age 66, he took a challenge to go do the 777, seven marathons in seven days in seven continents. I thought, that's humanly impossible. <laughs> so I said, how did you do that? And so it opened up so much opportunity. At 66 years old, in seven days, he did seven complete marathons in seven continents. I said, how did you do that? Well, we started the Antarctica, and it was freezing below zero. And he says, and from there we get on a plane, we take, we go to sleep for a few hours, we get to the next continent, and we do the whole process over. I thought, are you kidding? So all these guys that were like special forces, military kind of guys, mm-hmm. they were like saying, how old are you? <laughs> so it opened up a whole new opportunity of ministry for him yeah. at age 67 now. Wow. Well, another story, here's a guy who could have quit when he got discouraged and disappointed, but he stayed faithful and focused. And used it, it has a platform now to minister way beyond his capacity. Mm-hmm. Then there's another friend, not a friend, but a, a, a friend told me the story while we were in, in uh, Botswana, Africa, and then also in South America. And he tells a story, and I wrote about it in Leadership Awakening, about John Stevens Aquari. John Stevens Aquari, the 1968 Mexico City Olympics mm-hmm. from Tanzania, was considered one of the best marathon runners in the world. 75 people started the marathon. Only 57 finished. <coughs> Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Only 57 finished. Halfway through the marathon, about 19 kilometers in, just before halfway, there was a major collision. He dislocated his shoulder, busted up his kneecap, got all bandaged up. Everybody else quit. Only 57 out of 75 finished, but dead last was John Stevens Aquari. He comes into the stadium the, the award ceremony is already over for gold, silver, and bronze. Mm-hmm. But here's this last guy dragging his leg in, and he gets a standing ovation as he crosses the finish line. Dead last of the ones that finished, but he did finish. Yeah. And they said to him, why would you finish a race you could not win? And especially all busted up like that. Yeah. He said, my nation of Tanzania did not send me thousands of kilometers to start a race, yeah. but to finish the race. And when he said that, I thought, that resonates with me. God did not call us to start a race. He called us of leadership, but he called us to finish the race and to finish the race well. I think oftentimes we quit just before the victory. Yes. We and we consider what success and victory is based on our perceptions. Yes. And perception is not always the truth, but it is the reality to those who perceive it. But we've got to start getting our mindset not on what we think is successful. You think about uh, Nick uh, Vujicic uh, from Australia. He has no legs, born no legs, no limbs, no arms. He could sit back and have a pity party. Yeah. And yet here's, he's married, has children now. He travels around the world, ministers, and motivates thousands upon thousands of people. 
But if you look at him physically, you think, well, he's not on the cover of Fitness Magazine. Mm-hmm. He's not the epitome of what success is. Right. And yet he's more successful than people that have all their limbs. Yes. So success is not based on what we, should, what we perceive or what people tell us it should be. It's an inward part of our heart that says, I'm not going to let this circumstance dictate to me who I am, but I'm going to overcome this circumstance, and I'm going to put, fix my eyes on the Lord, get above the storm, and I'm going to let my life have meaning to it and impact lives. Yes. So good, so good. I think a lot of times we are probably 99% of the time we define success differently, way differently than the way that God would define it. And so when we feel like God doesn't come through for us, I'm using air quotes here, um, it's because he didn't come, he didn't do what we would describe as success. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, and, and, and you know, personally, I've, I've had, I've kind of thrown pity parties like, God, why, why would you allow this to happen. Now, I thought I was going to be successful in this area, and I experienced a failure. And then I, I remember hearing God's voice just say, if, if that's what you define as success, you really mm-hmm. need to uh, re- rethink how you think of, mm-hmm. of success. And I think that goes for, for everyone. And I, I see a lot of people like that who have no limbs. There's another guy that I follow on social media, Nick uh, Santanastasso. Um, and he's just, he's crushing it. I mean, he's, mm. he's, he's out there and he's, he's giving everything that he has, even though he's at a, you know, uh, as we would perceive it, maybe a, a, a disadvantage. Um, but to him, he's on, he's on top of the world and, and he's, I mean, he's inspiring uh, millions of people. It's just, it, it really is a, a, the way that you think of, of Absolutely. success. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Very awesome. Awesome. I want to talk a little bit more about your, your, your book, Leadership Awakening. I remember reading it uh, when it first came out and um i mean i was i was as blessed by it as i am with this conversation um but talk a little bit about uh, maybe why why you read it uh, not read it why you wrote it and um kind of the motive behind all of that absolutely you know i i, I heard quotes by people like uh dr robert clinton uh, who was a professor at fuller theological seminary and and saying that 70 percent of christian leaders do not finish the race well historically mm-hmm. So I wanted to find out what it was about the 30% that do finish well and how to change that statistic. Mm-hmm. So I realized that I have still a lot to learn in my life, so how do I learn from people who are finishing well, but also learn from the mistakes of those who didn't? Yes. Because there's a redemptive part of God, just like when there's always a scarlet thread of redemption. Mm-hmm. So wisdom isn't always by doing everything right. Wisdom can come from failure if we learn from what we failed right. in, right? Yes. So it's important for us to learn those lessons in life. So I was looking for life lessons in every circumstance in people's lives. And so I began to process that and tell my own stories and began to look at things that, that I had to be brutally honest in my own life and vulnerabilities. And that because I wrote it that way. But one of the things that Dr. Clinton says is that there were, he found that there were six primary areas where many leaders stumble. It's on page 13. One is finances, second, power, three, pride, four, sexual temptation, five, family issues, and six, loss of spiritual momentum. When I look at all of these together, it just goes back to remind me of even what what God said to Adam and Eve in the garden, when he said, you can eat of any tree in the garden, but the tree of good and evil do not eat it. He didn't call it the tree that was in the middle of the garden because a tree in the middle of the garden is a tree of life, the, yeah. the, the, the zoe, the zoe, mm-hmm. that's the God life. But Adam and Eve began to look at what they couldn't have, and they began to look at things that looked tempting and pleasing and pleasurable and desirable. So the tree of good and evil became center in their hearts, so they called it the center of the, of the garden. Mm-hmm. The center should be the tree of life. Our yeah. focus should be on the Lord. But for them, they began to look at the center as something different. But if you're walking with God in the cool of the day, you don't have to work. You don't have to worry about air conditioning or heating. You're talking about in the Garden of Eden, you already have it good. Yeah. So all you're going to get when you eat of the tree of good and evil is evil if you already have it good. That's right. So the deception of the serpent, which means sly, deceitful, cunning, was to make even use part truth to say, didn't God say? And begin to use part truths to deceive them into believing what they have is not good and what they need is something more than good. Yes. But yes. they already have a good. So the deception, but God asked them three questions after they fail. One, uh, where are you? Mm-hmm. Second, who told you that you were naked? And third, what is this you have done? Now, here's the grace of God. If you look at it, instead of running from God and putting fig leaves on, they were running from God and hiding from God. God was trying to be their covering. So he, he still has a conversation with them. Where, 
where are you? Yeah. Who told you that you were naked? You know, what have you, what is this you've done? He was already creating a scarlet thread of redemption for mankind, even after they stumbled. So we don't have to run from God, we can run to him. But I love the second question, who told you that you were naked? In other words, who told you that you needed more than what I provided for you? Who told you you're not smart enough? Who told you you don't have enough money? Who told you you're not successful enough? Who gave you this concept of what success is? Look at Nick. He did, or you're the person you were talking about. Yeah. Who told you that? So they weren't going to let their circumstance dictate them to who they are. They became successful based on what they believed they could do, yes. not based on what others put on them. Yeah. And so, where who told you that you're not good enough? Who told you you're not good looking enough? Who told you that you have to be successful by being on a cover of Forbes magazine or right. Fitness magazine or, or Beauty magazine? Look, those are the wrong things to compare to. Mm-hmm. There's nothing too difficult for those who delight in the Lord, and there's nothing too difficult for God, and if God before you, who can be against you? So the point is changing our mindset, changing yeah. our perspective, changing where our eyes are fixed. And so it really is about the lust of the eye, the lust of the, the, the flesh, and the pride of life. It's the same thing Jesus had to contend with when he went into the desert, yeah. and the cunning one, the serpent, the devil, tried to deceive him with all these things. Well, look, Man does not eat by, live by bread alone. He lives by every word of God that proceeds from the mouth of God. So we have to get back to being intentional of pulling down vain imaginations. And so we tend to focus on finances, power, pride, sexual temptation, family issues, loss of spiritual momentum. And Ryan, here's the thing I've learned. Not one leader, I don't care if you're a business person or a father or a husband or a wife or, or, or who you are, a pastor, not one person sets out to say, I can't wait to fail. Yeah, Everybody starts this vision of grandeur. Yes. I'm, I want to succeed. No one sets out to cheat, to lie, to fail unintentionally. Somewhere along the line, something shifts. Yes, No man chooses to cheat on his wife. When he gets married, he's, he gets married, he's, he's like, man, this is awesome, yeah. righteous fox. And somewhere along the line, the temptations begin to distract him. Then the tree looks good, pleasurable, and desirable. And then he ruins his family. Or a wife never sets out, I can't wait to cheat on my holy hunk, my husband. So no one sets out to fail. What happens is life happens. And we end up letting the distractions, the discouragement, disappointments dictate to us who we are. And we lose focus and we lose perspective. I think it's important for us to keep a right attitude. I think it was uh, uh, Albert Einstein said that weakness of attitude will always become a weakness of character. So it's important yeah. for us to keep the right Very attitude. True. Very true. Yeah, and it, it's it's easy, especially these days, to um, be deceived um, in, in the same way that Adam and Eve were deceived. Sure. In, in, in the same way that uh, Satan tried to deceive Jesus, because these days, I mean, there, there's so much gunning for our attention. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, culturally, and there's there's so much that um, tries to represent truth and tries to represent success. And when we allow ourselves to be influenced by those things, that's that's the way that we begin to see truth, and that's the way that we begin to adopt, uh, you know, perceptions of, of success when when they're not. They're, we're being deceived because someone else has it. Well, now I have to have it, and that becomes, like you said, the the center of our attention. Uh, you know, if if you're trying to start a business, you kind of get consumed with making making that business work, making money. Why? Because first, it, it might start out as well. I want to. I want to provide something for my family. I want to leave a legacy for my mm-hmm. family. But then it kind of becomes something. Something else. Well, I. I, I want to have nicer things. I want to have a nice car, nice house. Um, and so that becomes, you know, like you said, we we start with good intentions, and somewhere along the way, we we change our mm-hmm. definitions, we change our motives, and mm-hmm. we kind of we're deceived. Yeah. And, and so you really have to be careful. And you said it well because we change our motives and our perspective mm-hmm. because. It's not wrong to have a nice car sure, and nice yeah, things. Yeah. It's about stewardship, isn't it? Right. And as Jesus said, it's the love of money yes. is the root of all of it. It's not money itself, but it's mm-hmm. the love. That's where the distinction comes where we get skewed off of that place. Yeah. And I think it's important for us to realize if we seek first the kingdom of God and That's His right. righteousness, all these other things are byproducts. Right. But it's just losing sight of perspective. Yes. Very true. Very true. So good. Uh, and so you... The, the the title is leadership awakening. Um, I, I guess I'm going to ask you an obvious questioning uh, question here. Uh, why is there a need of awakening, or what do you mean by 
awakening in, in leadership? Well, I think all of us have inside of us, we're all going to lead one way or another, and people are going to follow us. Mm-hmm. If you're a father, your children are going to watch how you live. Uh, if you're a mother, your children are going to watch how you live. Sure. Someone's always watching someone, and they're looking to us. And I believe all of us have a capacity to lead for positive or for negative, for good or for bad. And uh, But I believe effective leaders are able to maintain their vision, hold on to their hope, and continually fan into flame their passion for God and their compassion for others and, mm-hmm. and hurting people. But it's not enough to do these things sporadically. We must do them consistently and intentionally. Yeah. You know, there are seven things that I talk about, at least a minimum of seven things I talk about in the book of Nehemiah in the book that will always come against you when you choose to lead. If you want to be an example, you, you know, in fact, uh, remember um, uh, David Robinson of the San Antonio Spurs, MVP of the NBA, I mean, an incredible guy on the court and off the court, and uh, call him the Admiral. I mean, this guy is brilliant. He's a great man of character, and he's a role model. There was other basketball players who get out and he'll, they'll do the topless bars and do everything they want to do, and they're great on the court, but they don't live the same characteristics off the court. They live a crazy lifestyle, and they say, well, I don't want to be a role model. I'm not asking to be a role model. Look, when you make that kind of money and you get put in the public eye and people are paying tickets to go watch you, you're a role model if you like it or not. Yeah. There is a place of responsibility. Yeah. So in the book of Nehemiah, I talk about seven things that will come against your leadership or your desire to do the will of God. And one is ridicule and mockery. The other is threat of attack by enemies or discouragement, which is a powerful drug. Mm-hmm. Division, uh, being double-minded, a compromise, uh, slander, and fear. And so one of the things, though, I believe all of them work around is discouragement. Discouragement is a powerful drug. If you get discouraged, you'll not keep your sights on your destination. Mm-hmm. And discouragement will cause you to begin to compromise your personal convictions, even your covenant relationships. Yeah. So it's important for us to be cognizant of the attacks of the enemy so that when they do, those things do come and temptations come, we're able to stand up against them and we're able to overcome them because we've made an intentional desire to be consistent in our non-negotiables. Yeah. When I was single, you know, I was all guy, athlete, fitness guy. But when I became a Christian, I knew my lifestyle had to change. I could not be out partying, cheating on women all the time, even my girlfriends. Something had to change. But that doesn't happen by because I just say, I'm going to change. Yeah. It had to come from this realization I needed the grace of God in my life and to set parameters in my life. Mm-hmm. I, had to be, I had to be intentional and brutally honest with myself. So even when I was courting my wife, Lisa, because I know the frailty of my humanity, I actually, as an older guy, I still had married couples with us mm-hmm. who were chaperones. Not We didn't call them chaperones, yeah. but if I went out to eat somewhere with Lisa or if we went to decide to go to somebody's home or my home or her home, we had people with us. We're going to watch a movie. We had people with us. Because not that I didn't trust Lisa, I know my humanity. Yeah. And I wanted to flee from all appearance of evil. So we have to know with being brutally honest of our own frailties and our own weaknesses and set parameters. That's being business and pastoring, uh, in relationships, we have to be honest so that we don't become those who compromise and end up causing others to stumble. Yeah, that's, that's good. Uh, you know, you said something there. Uh, you said when you got saved, it, it's, and this happens to a lot of people. You, you mentioned uh, the gentleman, Hollywood. Uh, when, when a lot of people get saved, they accept Christ, um, sometimes it's very, there's no depth there. there it's, just, it's just a prayer of salvation. And uh, that prayer, it, it, I think a lot of times we we give it too much uh, credit like mm-hmm. th- if you just say this prayer hey your 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 life has changed forever but that is that is the that's the commitment that you are are making to live in righteousness to pick up your cross and and, and follow Christ but i love what paul says he says if you want to be transformed there is a renewing of your mm-hmm. mind that has to take place and the mind, like we've been talking about it kind of since the beginning, is a very powerful place. It is the place of, of, of discipline. It is the, the place that allows you to see a, a glass half full or half empty. Um, so transforming your mind is really, is really powerful. And uh, it's imperative to those who just you know, accept Christ and want to walk. Um, Absolutely. You know, I was debating, or he wanted to debate me. I don't debate, but uh, I was on a live television show that happened to be airing all through the Middle East, okay. and the professor of philosophy from Tehran University called into this live show watching us on television from Iran, mm-hmm. from satellite, and arguing with me about my faith and all that. 
I said, look, if you're a professor of philosophy, you're supposed to love the truth. So you're always looking at things philosophically. But if you find the truth, would you believe it? He goes, absolutely. I said, so out of a different paradigm, I'm just going to ask you to do something. Because you believe that Jesus is a prophet. Mm -hmm. It's even said in your religion. I believe he is who he says he is. And he says he's the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So uh, I said, I want you to do something for me. I want you to say, Jesus, if you are who you say you are, reveal yourself to me. I said, he goes, I can't do that. I don't believe that. I go, no, no. I'm just asking you to say, if you are who you say you are, reveal yourself to me. And so I was able to have him pray that, even though he didn't believe it in his mind initially, if you pray out of a, a genuine heart, God will rock your world. Yeah. But too often we give too much credence just to a prayer without it coming from the heart. It's as a man speaketh yes. from the yes. abundance of his heart, right? Yeah. So as he speaks from his heart. So we've got to get and tap into people's hearts to speak the truth. But one of the things is you'll always be... When you set out to do something for God, people will try to attack you. There'll be slanders. People murmur, backbite. Yeah. And it can be very disheartening and discouraging yes. and knocks the wind out of us. But in my book, I wrote, I have a bunch of things called provoca thoughts. Mm-hmm. And one of the provoca thoughts I wrote was, don't let the negative attitudes or slander from others waste your time yes. and deplete your energy. It will distract you from investing your time and energy on what is most important in your life, which mm-hmm. is Family, calling, and vision. Yes. If you spend too much time on the negative words and slanders of others, it'll keep you off balance from ever accomplishing mm-hmm. what you know inside of you that God wants you to accomplish. Yes. And that, that's that's so true. And and that's that's something that I have to be intentional about in um, my leadership in the way that I I think because um, a lot of times you know you, you you can allow the negative to really weigh weigh you down. That's what it's meant to do. And so a lot of times. When we hold on to it, it does its job just right. Uh, so we have to learn how to kind of be reflective when when those you know words of of, of you know those haters they mm-hmm. they come and, and they try to put put you down. Um, and we have to stay you know focused on what our calling is and what yeah. God has called us. Well, to do. Well, and even for us, sometimes internally, I have to deal with overcoming feelings of inadequacy. Yeah. You know, at age sixty three, almost, I still deal with. Things from growing up and experiences, I have to say, wait a minute, those experiences should not dictate to me who I am. I am who I am because of Christ in me and my willingness to focus on Him, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But in my book, I talk about in chapter 16, overcoming feelings of inadequacy, Mm -hmm. because we all go through that. So I admit, I often personally feel totally unqualified to do the things God's called me to do. But that doesn't matter because if he is in me and he is greater than he is of the world and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, then the issue is it's not about me anymore. It's about my willingness to be obedient Perfect. Perfect. to him and to say yes to him and make myself available. Yes. I actually just did a, uh, a podcast. That, it was my first solo podcast that I had uh, done on this on the whole series. Um, and I, I laid out five uh, elements of what I believe, at least right now, uh, it, it takes to be a leader, and one of them was was confidence. Mm. Confidence, not so much in yourself, but confidence in the God who called you to the position that you're in. Absolutely, because a lot of times we we uh, we're too hard on ourselves, and just like Moses, we're like, I can't do it. I'm I'm not good with words. I'm not very confident. What if they don't listen to me? And God's like, Hey, I'm I'm with you. I'm the one commissioning you. So don't put so much confidence in your yourself, perhaps, but rather in me mm-hmm. because if you if your confidence is in God and what God has called you in for that season you're you're going to be you're going to be okay because you know that you're in the will of God so it's not so much about us it's about what God has put us in um, absolutely yeah. well you know that's that's a, that's great because when you think about who we are we'll never be good enough there's always yeah. somebody to be bigger better absolutely. smarter but if we uh, uh, could succumb, uh, not succumb, but we surrender to who God is in us, mm-hmm. there's nothing that can limit us, That's right? right? That's right. And That's so right. I, love, I love that. And I love the fact that God has really used you. you know, and again, getting back, not to pump you up here, but, but I know your family and to see the legacy you carry. Uh, and you're definitely, as Dr. Edwin Lewis Cole, who started the Christian Men's Network, was one of my spiritual fathers, uh, used to say, maturity is not based on age but on the willingness to accept responsibility. Mm. And you have definitely stepped into beyond your years and wisdom because you accept responsibility for self, but also you expect, accept responsibility that's been placed on you by the Lord. 
I tell people when they go, how did you end up with that governor or that president of that Muslim country? How did you end up with that person and or that celebrity? It's because I'm not enamored with celebrity. Mm-hmm. I, I'm enamored with with God. Amen. And so if I'm not enamored with celebrity, then it, I just go into these situations. I'm just like the Asian Forrest Gump. <laughs> I just go, I just show up in the picture. I'm not sure how I got there, but I made myself available to God and walk in daily obedience to God, which is the highest form of worship. Because the first time the word worship is ever used in Scripture is not in the context of singing mm-hmm. or instruments. It's yeah. in the context of obedience yes. to God. Yes. So if I can make myself available and obedient to God, then He will open up doors that I could have never even walked through. I'm, I'm not even qualified for. Right. But yet I'm at the table because I'm like that Asian Forrest Gump. I just <laughs> say yes to God, and I just go, things happen yeah. you know, when you say yes to God. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Uh, thank you so much um, for... For your insight and i want to i do want to ask you um you know you so far you're you're the most we'll call you experienced uh, and distinguished leader that i've i've had here on the uh, on the podcast um what what would you say to maybe new leaders uh in in this generation of you know millennials a lot of millennials are stepping up to, absolutely uh, to leadership and um it's it's a very different it's a very different culture and uh um, you know it, the 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 climate has kind of shifted, and we're we're always looking to. This is another thing that I I, I mentioned on 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 last week's uh, show. Um, we're always seeking to impress rather than to impact, um, and, and there's a pressure there to to perform because now we're we're on social media and everyone's kind of looking at what we do, and and we we try to put out the best of of what we are. Uh, what could you? speak to um in regards to new younger uh uh, leaders well you know that could be a whole podcast in itself but i think the most important thing for me is is again not be enamored with celebrity or people uh not and not even to think more highly of ourselves than we should but be confident you said it Mm -hmm. perfectly see our confidence i can walk in the fear of the lord and in confidence because it's in him not in me so true humility is not self-defacing but but true humility is to have confidence in God, not self, right. so that I can do anything in God that I could never do for myself. Yes. And I think the other is is to not let others keep you from your zeal and energy. You are a gifted generation. The millennials and the, and the next generation, mm-hmm. you are so highly gifted. But keep your perspective and focus because it will always be somebody who's better. If you look for feelings or emotions or gratification by people, how many likes you got on this or how many, you're going to be so consumed with that that you miss the point. You see, I wrote an article not too long ago for a magazine called Putting God Back in His House. And the idea is to put El back in Bethel. The, the Bible says that we should, that the house of God should be uh, the the Bethel, the house Mm -hmm. of prayer Mm -hmm. for all nations. Bethel is the institution of the church. But we aren't to worship the institution, we're to worship the El, the God of the institution. And too often we worship what we see, even worshiping worship. Yeah. And isn't that what happened to Lucifer? He was the worshiper of heaven and enjoyed being worshipped rather than directing worship. So we begin to be enamored and worship the worshiper, begin to worship the institution, we will always find ourselves lacking and wanting and even failing. But if we build upon the unshakable foundations of the Lord, the things that we know will last, so when everything shakes down, 1 Corinthians 3, when everything else has been shaken, that you've been building on the foundation of Christ. And so that's His Word, character, nature, and spirit. Yeah. So for me, there's a lot of things that I've done and set up, wasted time on frivolous things my, in my years. If I could take it all back, I would reevaluate my investments. I would make sure I invest more in the Lord. Spend more time with him because a little time with him changes my whole day. Yeah, and so I think just not be enamored with others. Don't worry about what people think, but really more about how can I please God and how can I be used by God to care about people. Yeah. Too often we become very self-absorbed, mm-hmm. and A. W. Tozer used to say, "Self is the opaque veil that hides the face of God from us." Yeah. I need God's favor. I need, and if He's before me, who could be against me? I need the favor of God. But if I get self-righteous, self-absorbed, uh, self-centered, it skews everything, and soon I'll be building on a false phantom mm-hmm. that will eventually crumble. Yeah, so good, so good. And, and you mentioned humility there. That was also that was the first point that I made last mm-hmm. week. Um, I think a lot of leaders, especially new leaders, 
we we carry this kind of pompousness to ourselves right before we're going to take on a new position. We're like, oh, I'm going to do this better. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do. I'm going to make changes to institutions and that have been around forever, and and everyone's going to love me for it. And then you step into that role, and it's so humbling because you realize that one, not everyone's going to like your ideas. Yeah. Two, not everyone's going to like you. Yeah. Um, and so it, it's it's one of those moments that's like it's a it's a a rude awakening. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a uh, a rude awakening for a lot of leaders. So definitely, I, I think humility is is very important and, and confidence, not so much in yourself, but in, in God. In and God, uh, yeah. so thank you so much for, for all of that. I don't know if you want to share just the last um, few f- few moments here from, from anything that you want to leave us with before we uh, sign out here. Yeah, well, I want to go back to that point because you're, you're making some great points here, uh-huh, you know. <laughs> so I think if you look at what's happening in the implosion the last year, year and a half, even in the institutions that we've always trusted, even the church institution, mm-hmm. and people we thought were like great leaders, and these young millennial leaders, young next-gen leaders who are now coming out and saying that they losing their faith or mm-hmm. you know, great worship leaders, you're beginning to go, wait a minute, what's going on here? It's because they built what we talk about on the wrong foundation. Yes. It was built on my gift, how I can express my gift, how people ad- give me adulation because of my gift. And, you know, you can speak good, oratorically gifted, you can sing good, write music. And even today, a lot of Christian artists will sit down and write music together because they know how what's working, mm-hmm. but they're, somehow they lost heart. What we need today is a new generation of worshipers, like like in my generation, we had people like Keith Green who went against the mold, you know, and there was content to what he, he, he had to sing, but it was content because he experienced the successes of the world, and when he left it, he left it behind to now express the, uh, who Christ is in him. And so even his music today is getting a resurrection. He's not even alive anymore, right? So I think it's important for all of us to get back to realizing that, that you know, it really is about the Lord, and there's nothing that will ever satisfy the longing of our hearts but Him. Yeah. And so there's too many today that who want, and, and look, look, there's movements. There's whole, uh, I won't even mention them, but there are movements of young people who got into their own club, so to speak, yeah. and they had the new uh, reformationers they have the yeah. new understanding of grace they have the new understanding of this and that they didn't need the wisdom of the older generation now look we don't have to be like the older generation but the older generation has some experiences Absolutely. and wisdom that we can glean from sure. and the younger generation needs to be released to what they're called to do with zeal and passion mm-hmm. but come alongside and empower that generation right but if you try to separate the generations, we all fail. We yeah. need each other to be part of a prophetic generation, leading the way for revival and the coming of the Lord. But look how many even these movements and even mega mega ministries fail eventually because they begin to build on their own celebrity. They build on their own press. They begin to build on that place of arrogance you talked about yeah. rather than humility. Yeah. And then we see this whole cycle. I've seen so many things over the years. It cycles in and cycles out. Yeah. There's nothing new under the sun. But there are some things that are unshakable that are guaranteed success. And those guaranteed successes come in, in that place of relationship with Christ and the characteristics of the kingdom that emanate from the character of the king himself. Amen. So good. Uh, Dr. Doug, I, I forgot to mention that you are a, you're, you have a, doc, a doctorate uh, in, in, is it is it leadership? Is it, yeah, well, I have a, a PhD in leadership PhD. and then a bunch of honorary ones too. Yeah, and just, well, uh, I mean... Uh, it definitely sounds like it. <laughs> well, well, from being 18 years old and came back from Japan from high school, I dropped out of high school with one credit to graduate, living on freight trains, hitchhiking, wow. living homeless for a period of time. So I, te- I tease people because I have another friend that says this. Um, I went from, from uh, LSD to PhD. <laughs> so it wasn't something I set out to do, but God allowed the process and, yeah. and, uh, and to be able to well, do that. And God is, I mean, he's, he's cons- consistently using you, uh, I mean, daily. I mean, you are, you. you are a blessing, you are an inspiration. And I know that everyone who listens to this podcast is going to be uh, blessed. And I'm, I'm expecting uh, just this influx of, of people coming out and say, oh my gosh, I loved Dr. Doug. Mm-hmm. Uh, so thank you so much for, for your insight. Yeah. It was it was a pleasure. Um, your book, Leadership Awakening, how can people get it? Sure. And I want to encourage everybody out there that's the older generation. It's our responsibility to invest in this next generation coming up. Don't don't be afraid by their uniqueness, but let's come behind this next generation, tap into their zeal, mm-hmm. give direction to their zeal, 
and to help give direction to their passions because with them we'll cross the Jordan River and possess the land of promise together. But they can go to um, any of the online bookstores. It's on Audible. It's on on Kindle. It's the hard copy from Whitaker House Publishing or uh, go online. You can order it from Amazon and other places as well. All right. And you're working on a number two? I am. I'm I'm helping my wife now. She's got a book she just came out with called God Did Not Do This to Me based on my journey with cancer from her perspective. And uh, I've got other books out like In Search of a Father's Blessing where I did talk about the cancer and um, uh, and some other things. But I really believe we are in a prophetic generation and we are seeing a generation rising up. Amen. No matter what the obstacles are, I believe your yeah. generation is ready to, to cross over. Amen. All right. Well, that's that's very that's hopeful and uh, encouraging. Uh, Brother Doug, thank you so much for, you. for being here. Uh, it was an honor. And hopefully we, we will do it again in the future. And uh, we can talk about some of these other little nuggets that we kind of just touched the surface on. Uh, So thank you once again. Um, God bless you and your family. Thank you, sir. All right, guys, that was my interview with Dr. Doug Stringer of Somebody Cares International. Go and check out his book, Leadership Awakening. You're going to be blessed by him and his ministry. Um, And once again, if you like this podcast, if you like this show, leave a rating or a review. That would help us. And um, that's it, guys. Have a blessed week, and we will see you next week.